Welcome to the workshop called Does It Feed Your Disease or Your Recovery? Um, before we get started, we ask that you turn off all cell phones and electronic equipment. This session is being taped. Anyone wishing to share will be required to sign the speaker's release form before sharing. To protect anonymity, no photography, audio, and or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. My name is Pam and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and I'm your leader for this meeting. Please now join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will now read the promises from the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know a new peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in ourselves and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. The format for this meeting is as follows. Three speakers will share for 15 minutes each. Um, then we'll pass an ask it basket for a 15-minute question and answer session toward the end. And then we will have open sharing as time allows. So, in terms of the timing, um, our timer, would you hold up the five-minute one? What does it say on one side? And the other? Okay, so I would hold up the um, five-minute thing when we get to the, toward the end of sharing. Or, okay, wait, wait, I'm revising this. I'm sorry. At the end of, yeah, yeah, 12 minutes, hold up the three-minute, and at 15 minutes, hold up the time's up. How's that? Okay. <laughs> so, again, the topic of this workshop is does it feed your recovery or your disease or your recovery? Our first speaker will be Ida, and you're on. Yay. Hi, my name is Ida. I'm a compulsive reader. Okay, and our instructions is, you know what, i got to take my rubber bands out, excuse me. I not only can't eat with them, I can't t- 
talk with them. Anyhow. Um, <clears throat> so the instructions were that I was to give you a couple minutes of background before I start in on the topic. Okay, I've been an abstaining member of Overeaters Anonymous for 32 years. And I came in, in uh, on April 17, 1975, and uh, I've been abstaining ever since. So, you know, I haven't had a relapse or anything. And I know that makes my story un, uh, somewhat unusual, and I'm very happy for that. I am uh, I am maintaining 110-pound weight loss, and I have been within 10 pounds of my goal weight for 31 years. So, uh, let me see. The, um, the topic, uh, it, whatever it is. And when I came into program, I was comparing notes with somebody this morning at breakfast about uh, why we came in. And she came into OA for health reasons, and I had no health reasons to come in. Oh, I came in because I was absolutely sick and tired of being fat. And I came in willing to do whatever I had to do not to be fat anymore. And I actually knew without being told that there was a connection between what I ate and what I weighed. And so, so the, uh, you know, um, and without the aid of a sponsor or anything, I embarked on a food plan. And my question was, will this help me lose my weight? And that is how I decided what I was going to eat or not. Not whether it was healthy for me or whatever. It, you know, I was strictly the the calorie count for the day was what I wanted. And so, um, and today I look at food and I, I eat for health, but I also eat for maintenance. My maintenance is extremely important to me, and I'm willing to pay the price to maintain my weight. So, after a while in program, my... Um, my emphasis changed from just focusing on the food part on to behaviors. And uh, to this day, you know, I look around and I see people in program behaving in certain ways and I go, how the shit can they get away with that? <laughs> and because I go, you know, I couldn't get away with that. I would be eating. How can they do this and get away with it? And, you know, God bless them, whatever they can do. But I will never forget I was maybe five or six years in the program, and I was married at the time. Well, I'm still married, but I, was, I didn't come in married, okay? And uh, my husband and I were having some kind of fuss thing one morning, and I was getting ready to leave for my meeting, and I said to him, you know, well, maybe I will just go out and find a man. And my husband, who is not in program, has never read the big book or anything close to it, said to me, I'm not worried your program wouldn't stand it. <laughs> and so, I just, what was I supposed to do with that? I just went to my meeting, you know, and, uh, and besides, there's only one man in my life, and that's it. So, anyhow, so I'm thinking about feeding the disease and feeding the recovery. 
And uh, I did something that I, I used to swear I would never do. I actually wrote stuff down. I thought people who took notes in meetings were silly. And I thought people who brought notes up to the podium were sillier. Well, you know, as now I'm in my 60s and I take notes and I occasionally, you know, think ahead of time uh, about what, I was gonna, what I'm going to say. So when I, when I started thinking about what that anything can feed my disease or my recovery, it depends on how I'm using it. And there, there's what I'm going to call OACW, you know, OA conventional wisdom. Now, things that don't feed my recovery, feed the disease, okay, character, this, character defects, really? My character defects kept me abstinent. And sometimes my character defects still do keep me abstinent. Pride works. You know, not wanting to be humiliated works. And until I have a better motive, if my only motive is my character defect, then I'm going to, you know, my character defect keeps me going. So my character defect can feed my uh, recovery as well as my... Um, as the disease, if I keep, um, if it keeps me going. Okay, guilt. You know, guilt has a really bad reputation in this program. And I think it's undeserved. I think, I think that if we do something that's bad, we should feel guilty. I, I you know, I know that's politically incorrect, but, uh, if I start to feel guilty about something, then I need to take a look at myself. Is it is this guilt based on reality, or is it based on like what the leader said, the speaker said last night about being born guilty? No, it wasn't the speaker last night. I can't remember. It was okay. Thank you. See, I'm 61 going on 62, and it's hitting me. Uh, so, so but if I'm feel, so if guilt uh, leads me to inventory then it's feeding my recovery, okay? Judging others. Oh, my God, how dare we judge other people? It's a, it's, um, it's a matter of survival. You know, it, the minute we meet somebody, we have to judge whether that person is uh, trustworthy enough for us to talk to or do we want to spend time with that person. Um, However, condemning them to hell because we don't like the color of their hair is another issue. You know, now that feeds the disease. But making sound judgments as to who can be trusted and who we want to listen to. My sponsor, and when I, by the way, when I say my sponsor, I'm talking about my first one. I've only had about five in 32 years. I don't hop, skip, and jump through people. But um, my first sponsor taught me right, and she's the one I quote most of the time. And, you know, she she told me that I had to uh, accept what was in the big book, in the literature, but what I heard at meetings, that's when I could take what I want and leave the rest. So I have to be careful who I listen to, because I heard it said recently at a meeting that, you know, we can we can find somebody to co-sign almost anything. And so we have to we have to pick. Okay. Preoccupation with numbers and with weight. Oh, my goodness, you know. Well, like I said, I've been within 10 pounds of my goal weight for 31 years, which means that I have been monitoring my weight for 31 years. Uh, monitoring my weight 
way of measuring my food, and by the way I do, a way of measuring my food, is the way I take, is a form of personal inventory. It's a way of applying the fourth step to my physical recovery. I am, I take, I get on the scale, I take a look, there's reality. There's reality. And uh, I'm very happy uh, that, you know, I, ha- I have a, a good maintenance. The, um, and also, people say, well, your weight is just a symptom of the disease. And I go, well, if I'm ex- displaying symptoms of the disease, maybe I should check to see how the disease is in my body. I'll give you an example. Let's say that I had... Um, I had, let's say I had a history of melanoma in my family. And lo and behold, one day I come up and I, I have something funny on my skin. I go into the dermatologist, find out that it's a melanoma. We get it taken care of and so forth. And uh, then does that mean that I quit checking my skin to see, you know, because I've been cured of this one melanoma, do I, keep, uh, do I just uh, quit checking my skin because I've got it made? No. And if I see that something funny is happening on my skin, do I ignore it just because the first one was taken care of? No. And that's the way I think of it with my weight. Do I, you know, let's say I have something small on my skin, I take care of it before it becomes something big. And that's the same thing with weight. You know, uh, one pound leads to five, leads to ten, leads to forty, you know, and then before we know it, we wake up and we go, how did I get here, you know? So, and take care of my, uh, I, I, so I monitor. And that does not mean I hit a number and I stay that way the entire time. It took, I went through about a 10-year, and I'm speaking from experience, I went through about a 10-year, uh, holy crap, I only got five minutes left. i got to speed up because I haven't gotten to the things that help you recover yet. Okay. Um, so, so I have uh let me oh shit. The um the um so I went through a creeping weight gain and I one day I woke up and I was ten pounds above my goal weight and I knew that it had to stop right there. And that took like several years. But you know, I have I came in and I learned to fear the creeping weight gain more than the all out binge because it's more seductive and it lies better. Okay? So, okay, then revenge. Revenge is bad. Except that if living well is the best revenge, then abstaining is the best revenge. So, all those people that you ate at before, abstain at them now. And that is the best way to get even. Okay, now I have three minutes to tell you uh, the stuff that feeds my uh, that feeds recovery. Really? Okay, meetings. Yes, meetings, meetings, meetings. People talk about going to meetings all the time. I suggest that you go to good ones. Uh, my sponsor said, if you're if you're getting sloppy about your program, look at the meetings you're going to. Are they sloppy? Do people come late? Or there's no rotation of leadership? Uh, and if not, then you need to find a better meeting or start one. Okay, sponsors, yes, sponsors help recovery, if they're good. I suggest you have one who's abstaining. I think that's helpful. And that is no joke. Um, 
food plans. I have a food plan. I've worked the same food plan all of my time in program. I weigh and measure my food. I don't abstain from sugar. I don't abstain from flour. I keep a running calorie count. And that is what's worked for me all these years. Everybody else that I sponsor does something different. I don't have, I don't sponsor one person who eats like me. And I don't care how they're eating as long as they're abstaining. I think the problem comes in confusing the food plan with abstinence from compulsive overeating. I have a food plan. If I vary from that food plan without, without binging, then I'm still abstinent, you know. And, and uh, so the food plan works for me. Telling my truth and being willing to say it from the podium, not pretending to be something I'm not. My sponsor said, you know, Edie, you do not have to be perfect. You just can't pretend that you are. She said, uh, don't ever uh, allow yourself to be put on a pedestal. And with the people in my life, that is not an issue. Trust me. Uh, but the, uh, the uh, she says, because there are only two ways to get off of a pedestal. Either you step down or you get knocked off. And it's so much easier to step down than to get knocked off. Uh, service. Service really does feed the recovery if you're abstaining while you're doing it. And uh, I, I got into service above the median level my first year in Overeaters Anonymous, and except for a couple short breaks, I've been in service above the median level for 31 years. And that means I come to conventions and I know people from all over California because, you know, I show up at these things. And, uh, you know, and I, I just, I, I love Overeaters Anonymous. The, um, so all of these things, all of the conventional wisdom that says, you know, these things will feed the disease, the conventional wisdom that says these things will feed the recovery, I just, I just find it's, um, it's an artificial division. Meetings feed recovery. Hiding out at meetings don't or doesn't. Um, food plans feed recovery. Uh, slavery to a food plan doesn't. So we each get to uh, find out what works for us, what feeds our personal recovery, and what feeds our personal disease. Thank you. Our uh, second speaker, thank you very much, Ida, is uh, Stephen. And because we started ten minutes late, and I apologize for that, I won't pass the ask it basket because I'm afraid we'll run out of time. So I encourage you to come up and ask the speakers, if you guys are okay with that, all of the questions that popped into your mind during their talks. Stephen, you're on. Good morning. My name's Stephen. I'm a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety here. And um, it's my oh, my. AA book here, my OA book. 
supposedly I came into OA by mistake on February 6, 1988. I wrote it down in my big book. And, um, and the reason I say I came in here by mistake is because um, I was asked to, to, to uh, speak about my experience, strength, and hope regarding does it feed my disease or my recovery. And, um, and I think that's a great subject. I got to OA by mistake. I was raised in an alcoholic household uh, in Mexico. And uh, my dad was an alcoholic, and both of my parents died of alcoholism and drug addiction and gambling. And um, we had put my dad in, in an AA recovery center twice and went through all the therapy stuff and all that. And, uh, and then I moved up here, like in 1985, and was really depressed. I don't understand why, but I was really depressed. So I called 411 up, and I was trying to figure out if it was an ACA meeting somewhere. Uh, we had those down in Mexico. Actually, we had a, a Al-Anon down in Mexico. I'd never heard of ACA. And uh, so I said, do you have any Al-Anon meetings at the, at the 411? And this operator couldn't find it. So she says, well, I can't find that, but I got an OA for you. <laughs> and uh, talk about miracles. And I said, well, why don't you give me that number? That sounds close home. And uh, she gave me the OA number, and I got myself to a meeting. I walked into a meeting. I said, of course, eating was never an issue with me, of course. And uh, I walked into this meeting, and lo and behold, every story I heard had something of me written all over it. Um, me being the shy person that I am, um, I got myself a sponsor like the second or third meeting. And my sponsor was a really tough sponsor. He had uh, a definition of abstinence that was either white or black. And, um, and I don't know if me being a perfectionist um, kind of accepted that definition of an abstinence. Um, but he moved away, and then I never got another sponsor. So I kind of floated through the program for about 15 years, you know, trying to um, work through all my issues and maintain an abstinence and, and learning how to work the program and all that. And the big things that made a very um, important change in my life was uh, hitting bottom several times. So if you haven't hit bottom... Um, not to be funny or anything, but it's probably the best thing that can happen to you. Because it really shakes you awake. It, it shakes everything off of you where you have to go out of yourself to ask somebody else for help. Um, this program happens to be a very spiritual program. I didn't understand that for many years. I just thought you'd work the steps, white knuckle it, and keep on working the steps and white knuckling it some more. And I could never figure out if I was feeding my disease or I was feeding my recovery. Either I was doing it right or I was wrong. Either I was good or I was bad. You know, there was no middle ground. Um, finally, I hit, about five years ago, I hit bottom again. And I got myself a sponsor. I got myself to a program. And um, I turned around. I said, I don't want to get a sponsor, but I need to get a sponsor. So I turned around to the guy next door. And I said, do you want to be my sponsor? And he says, you're willing to do everything you need to do to, to stay absent. I said, what am I going to say, right? <laughs> of course. You know, so I told him yes, and we got ourselves onto a little course of working that 12-step program. And finally, after 15 years, I finally understood 
what this today's subject means. Does it, you know, with really big IGs and little, little squiggly things on the side, feed my disease or feed my recovery? I can read this many different ways. There's a big book here that expresses that probably that on every story there is. Are you living in recovery? Are you in your disease? Are you being spiritual? Are you in your disease? Are you in denial or in your program? Are you living in the problem or are you living in the solution? You know, and to me, the one that makes more of the sense is, do I live in the problem or do I live in the solution? Well, for the last five years I've been abstinent. I've lost probably 70 pounds and I've been able to keep it off. Um, but more important than that is I used to go to this OA meeting at 7 in the morning over by a hospital here. It was a really small meeting. There was three or four of us max. And, and it was really funny because we became really good friends. And we were joking one morning and we said, coming to OA is so cool that all of a sudden we, we share our problems. And this beautiful person is just going to kind of flow out of us, you know. And then we're going to be completely different. It never worked out that way. It never worked out that way. What I've had to learn here is that to live in the solution, I have to accept myself the way I am. I can't be unmercifully judgmental of myself because it doesn't work. Judging myself only keeps me six feet under, and it never allows me to take the promises of the program, which meant I had to change my attitude. My abstinence flag. I have six P's and 32 little pieces of rice. And if I have 33 F, fuck, you're stupid. There goes your abstinence. Let's start all over again. There goes six months of abstinence. And that never worked for me. So living in the solution means I have to get a loving, I have to be a loving parent towards myself, which means forget all my things that my parents taught me, all the hostility and criticism and all that. Become a loving parent, patient. And in that I don't know how to do that because I wasn't, I didn't go to those classes and, uh, or I kind of skipped through those classes. They were never shown at home. I had to rely on a spiritual aspect. And I've got an emotional, spiritual, and physical disease, which means that I've got an emotional recovery, a spiritual recovery, and a physical recovery, which means that I can be in denial emotionally. I can be in denial spiritually but I could be in recovery physically on the road to breaking my physical recovery because I don't have my spirituality well. So for me, recovery is that I got all three aspects working for me. And I can't do that alone. It's overwhelming. Um, the, the trials and tribulations of leading everyday life is difficult enough to make it through with the stresses. When you add addictions on top of that, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, I'm only a food addict. I don't, I'm not a cocaine addict. I'm not heroin and all that stuff. Sometimes I think it's a little bit more difficult than just having a one disease thing where you can turn it off, never have to do that again, and then just work on your recovery. So if I haven't snorted coke for the last year and nothing's gone up my nose, I guess I've been abstinent. What's really difficult with food, because um, everybody gets to define their own abstinence. And according to my mood, if I'm really feeling good, I can eat more. I can celebrate. If I've lost a lot of weight, hey, I can have a little bit more. I've already lost a lot of weight. If I'm feeling really bad, oh, i got to cut back. 
Or I can celebrate, you know, I'm feeling bad. You know? Um, so it's very loose. So, does that feed my disease? That attitude feeds my disease? Of course it feeds. It's not living in the solution. I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to move the boundary to whatever fits the situation right now. And that doesn't work for me. Because it just means that I'm, I'm at the start of a spiral where all these red flags are going off. And I don't want to see any of them. I want to do what's most comfortable for me. Kind of lying to myself or the big book describes that moment as insanity. I never have admitted that it's insanity, but the book book says it's insanity. I'll accept it. I could spend the next 15 years trying to figure out, does it really define insanity or not according to me, you know? It's really easy. It's insanity and you're living in the problem. You're not living in the solution. Change your course. That's all you got to do. Trying to figure it all out doesn't work for me because I was never able to figure it out. Um, my higher power gives me the gift of abstinence. And I've learned to develop an abstinence that works for me. It's a very gentle abstinence where I was coached by some really, really, really qualified people at OA where I had to put abstinence in the way my mind works. Not the way yours works. Yours may sound cool, but it doesn't fit my little squares and boxes and all that stuff. I finally found an abstinence that fits all my little squares and boxes and feelings and works the way my sick mind works. And that is, which are your heroin foods? Which are your iffy foods? And which are your safe foods? I'm not allergic to all foods. I'm allergic to some foods, to some behaviors, to some emotional shit and to some physical stuff and to some spiritual stuff. But I'm not allergic to 100% of it. So the key for me has been to figure out what the heroin foods are. And the heroin ones are the ones that I take and I can't stop eating and all of a sudden I got cravings the next morning. Five minutes, thank you. Um, a huge issue with sugar. Do I want to take a little bit of sugar? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> Does it feed my disease? Does it feed my recovery? Does it feed my insanity? Does it feed my sanity? And if the answer is yes, it feeds my insanity, I got a problem on my hands. Because I'm fighting my cravings, which is right there is your whole disease. Cravings, as gentle as it sounds when you're sitting in front of a bowl of sugar. Call it whatever you want to call it. And you've got a craving in your brain, that's disease. Change the name of the bowl of sugar to heroin or cocaine. It's that easy for me. So, I don't have the power to tell this no. Because if I did have the power, man, I wouldn't be here. I'd be 40 pounds lighter, and my mind wouldn't be screwed up. You know, I'd think like a normal person. You know, I'd take normal situations and react normal to them. I'd take difficult situations and act in a healthy way to them. I don't have that ability. So if I act unhealthy and I feel guilty, I immediately run to food. Does that feed my disease and my recovery? At what stage did I go off? When I started feeling uncomfortable? When I didn't know how to handle a healthy situation in a healthy manner? Did my mind not kick in? Did my emotional part not kick in? Did my spiritual part not kick in? But I know what to do right. I can go eat. 
So it's not a clean thing, but there is patterns that have little red flags on them that I've been able to discover in my life. And all I know is if it feeds my disease, it's like, be careful, watch out, don't screw it up. I don't think it's screw it up. I'm much more vocal to myself, you know. Um, but this is a very big way of it guiding myself. And in that I have no, I'm screwing up, and I don't have the willpower or the, the way to figure it out. God, help me out. Take it away from me. I completely turn it over to you. Because I, I, I don't have a way to deal with it. And I humbly turn it over. And I do what's the next indicated thing in front of my nose. And that's get up and walk away from the meal. I do that. I tell my wife, you get to clean the kitchen up today. Because I don't want to eat off every plate this year. And she'll happily do it. Why? Because she doesn't want me compulsively overeating. You know, because compulsive overeating is not as simple as just, oh, I had a couple of morsels. You break your contact with God. You break your communication with God. You feel really guilty. You get on a spiral. Then you get into all your old poor meetings and all your old poor pity stuff. And then miraculously, you start fighting with your wife. And then the world's pissed off. And then your kids get it. And then, God, they're all wrong. I don't understand it. And that's just because my insanity took over. If I live in the recovery part, in the solution part, I'm using healthy steps. And I'd like you to all to invite you to get to as many meetings as you can. Accept yourself as you are. Love yourself as you are. And develop the program in the spiritual part. Because the physical part is just a matter of intake and outtake. To me, it's very important. If I weighed 100 pounds more and was still telling myself that I was abstinent, well, then there's something wrong. Then I'm eating too many abstinent foods. <laughs> no. So i got to make better choices. But to me, physical recovery is important. And getting to my goal weight is very important. Um, and there's a way to get there. I can justify myself to where I'm at, but I'm not at my goal recovery. The reality is I'm screwing around with myself. I'm, I'm screwing around with my three meals a day with that little tablespoon of extra here and a little tablespoon of extra that, and that stuff keeps your weight on. And I don't have to go on a diet. I just need to get an abstinence that works for me at my goal weight and then stay there and then deal with all the feelings that I'm not suppressing. And there's, I, I, I've got about three minutes left in that one minute. There's two things here that I wanted to share here. AA has taught me that I'm the result of the way I reacted to what happened to me as a child. And they, they underline reacted. What is much more important to me, AA has taught me that through this simple program, I may experience a change in this reaction pattern that will indeed allow me to match calamity with necessity. Um, sorry. Wrong chapter. That's good, too. Um, okay, it says here, AA did not teach us how to handle our drinking. OA doesn't teach us how to handle our food. Okay, thank you. It teaches us how to handle sobriety. And if we can handle sobriety, we can live in the solution. We don't have to live in the disease. And everybody here is available for everybody else here. 
because all, we all know that this is where we're going to get recovery. Thank you very much for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. Tina, you're on. Hi, everybody. I'm Tina. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Good morning. I was rushing down here this morning, so I'm glad I made it on time. So I want to thank the earlier meeting for running late. Um, <laughs> thanks, everybody, for sharing your stories this morning. I was glad I got to go last because I needed to be in a meeting, you know, so it was nice to listen for a while. Um, I love so much what was said already that I just kind of was picking up some key points. Um, first of all, I want to completely dispel the idea that I have in my own head about being perfect and appearing perfect. I tend to do that still, I think, sometimes, and I got called on that by um, one of my sponsors because I'm in more than one program. I pretty much qualify for every that program, but because of lack of time and matter of importance, I only go to two right now. And um, <laughs> my sponsor and I are currently working steps. I'm uh, reviewing my steps. Um, I'm in uh, double-digit years now in sobriety, and I'm in uh, my first six years. I'm going towards seven in OA. And um, I'm reworking my steps right now because I actually, ironically enough, am back to being in a place of kind of feeling like I'm on my first step again, especially for this program. And, um, you know, through many years of being in program and, and, you know, many years of therapy and everything in between, I've learned how to talk the talk very well. And walking the walk is what, where the difference comes. And it's where my recovery comes. And it's what I try to focus on. And I love so much what was said about, you know, the pedestal stuff. Um, because there, you know, I was always told to be leery of people, um, who put themselves, who put themselves or who were put on pedestals. Um, basically due to the fact that, um, you know, we're all God's kids, and it was important to to really emphasize the quality of recovery rather than the quantity of recovery. And, um, you know, I found there's been times in program where, um, you know, I've struggled with being rigorously honest with myself and as a result with others. And a lot of that has just been through working the steps and kicking and screaming and begrudgingly sharing things at meetings I don't want to share, you know, and doing service that I, you know, continue to be um, humbled and it's not humiliated it's humbled and you know and what that means is my ideas of what I think I should be continue to get squashed and God's idea of what God wants me to be continues to be what I seek for and what I'm trying to learn how to accept and live towards so when I was thinking about you know what does it mean and how does it feed my recovery and da, 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 really it simplifies itself for me in just the first step you know, I think all of us know, if we wouldn't be here, what feeds our recovery versus what feeds our disease, because we all know what pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization is. And we can live that on a small level, and we can live that on a large level as far as the food's concerned. And that's been my experience, you know, where I have 33 pieces of rice, and I feel pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization to a small level. And then when I have a full-out three-day, four-day binge where I'm eating around the clock, which I've done, um, in hiding out in the house, that's a whole different level of pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, you know. And it's coming to a point where, for me, what I'm figuring out and what I'm being taught right now um, for the first step is simply comes down to, in step one, we acknowledge this truth about ourselves. Our current methods of managing our lives have not been successful, and we need to find a new approach to life. Having acknowledged this truth, we are free to change and learn. And that's what I'm here for, um, 
you know, just to qualify a little bit, I, as I said, I had, you know, about seven years in recovery in another program. And the last thing I wanted to do was come into another 12-step program. I was not interested. Thank you very much. I'd worked the steps, and I had, you know, been a sponsor, and I had done all that stuff, and I did not want to come into OA. But I knew that I had a food problem because my weight kept steadily climbing. And, you know, I, I didn't realize it. I was in denial about it for a long time. And one of the bottoms that I hit that sort of brought it to my attention was um, my friend, one of my best friends at the time, was getting married and asked me to be in her wedding ceremony, and I couldn't do it because I couldn't fit into the dresses that she picked out. And that was, um, you know, that was a major bottom for me, and that was a wake-up call. That was a moment of clarity, or as my friend Cliff R. says, it was a moment of grace, where I had enough humility at that point where God, um, I was able to hear what God was telling me. So I you know, I, I realized, okay, maybe I have a food problem, okay, but I'm going to try to fix it. That was my immediate next thought. You know, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to fix it. I can apply the steps. I know the traditions. I can do this. And, um, you know, so there was a lot of sort of coming in and out of, I know I knew OA existed. Um, didn't mean I wanted to be a part of it, but I knew that it existed. And, um, you know, what I did was I started going to my other meetings and I would read, um, you know, literature that wasn't necessarily approved by OA with people in my other program at the coffee houses eating bagels and drinking coffee in the morning. And that's where my meeting started. And, um, you know, it was slowly, gradually getting to that place of willingness where I was able to finally walk into an OA meeting and, um, and be humbled and share at a group level one morning after I'd come off of a three-day binge. Um, that I was struggling and that I had no idea how to eat normally or sanely and um, I needed help and all my ideas had gotten me right where I was which was my butt was in the chair and I was willing to listen and I was willing to participate in yet another 12-step program and um, you know it hasn't been like this road of you know to wellness for me I know a lot of people my sponsor in particular at that point wasn't struck abstinent either right away she struggled on and off for a long time and, and that was my story and as I come to find out in a way that's a lot of our stories you know um, but what did happen for me was this funny little thing where I maintained a weight by going to meetings I wasn't losing weight but I maintained a weight so I knew because of my own, I'm the 10-pound gainer, like gainer. Like I get on the scale and I'm 10 pounds heavier and I'm like, well, how did that happen? You know, and then I get on the scale a little bit later and I'm 10 pounds heavier and I'm like, well, how did that happen? There's this whole thing that goes on in between that for some reason I don't see until I get on the scale and it seems to happen in 10-pound increments for me. And um, so when I started coming to OA and I would get on the scale and the, that weight stayed the same, I knew that there was something going on here. And um, I kept showing up and I kept talking about what it was like to obsess about the food. A lot of times it was whining. You know, I was whining about the fact that I didn't want to stop eating, you know, because I, you know, had this list of things I'd already given up. And I was like, well, God, God, do I really have to give this up too? Because as our book says, as our first step talks about in the 12 steps and 12 traditions, when I am not in the food, my life becomes unbearable. And how do I deal with myself and you and God and every other thing in my life um, without eating, without compulsively overeating? And um, it, scared, it scared me to death. It scared me to death because I felt like this big raw nerve. And, um, you know, my sponsor put me on a food plan that I could, you know, deal with. 
And, you know, I slowly started working the steps. And a lot of this program for me has been trial and error. And a lot of it has been the question of, does this feed my disease? Does this feed my recovery? I'm not sure. And I think really what it comes down to as I continue to abstain is that rigorous honesty that we're taught, you know, that my greatest obsession as an abnormal eater is to eat like a normal eater. So if I'm obsessing about something that I want to put in my body and I'm thinking, like I catch myself thinking about how I can eat it normally and how I can have just a little bit and how I'm going to feel if I eat it and then feel, you know, uh, before, during, and after and if I'm going to want it the next day. And if it takes up that much mental energy for me behind that, I don't get to have it, you know, which is, you know, which is when my little brat comes out and it's like, well, but why? And I'm like, well, because. And then it just, you know, becomes two little trains going in the opposite direction. But, um, you know, these are the things that I started being able to identify, identify being in LA. I didn't know I had a food obsession. I thought I was just weak-willed. I didn't know that I had a spiritual malady that extended into the fact that it made me want to compulsively overeat. I didn't know that I had an allergy to certain foods. You know, I didn't know that I was still stuffing my emotions behind, you know, all the things that I was putting in my body. I didn't know this stuff until I came to OA. And it was one of the greatest freedoms when somebody explained to me, you have an obsession of the mind and the body. It's why you can't quit. Because I used to see people who were as heavy as me or heavier and be like, well, why can't they just push themselves away from the table and put the fork down? Well, why couldn't I? Because I can't. Because I have the obsession of mind and body. And that I, the big book tells me that I place myself beyond human aid. That includes my human aid. That includes me being able to fix myself. And so, you know, for me, uh, as being, you know, stubborn and prideful, you know, I have a hard time accepting that from time to time. Um, but as I go, you know, I continue this journey, I start to understand that more and more. And um, things that feed my recovery today, you know, this whole time when I got asked to speak, like, I didn't want to speak. <laughs> I feel like a newcomer in OA. I am a newcomer in OA. One of my sponsors talks about probably the best place for me to live, and she's got 30-plus years of sobriety, and she talks about one of the best places to live is continually in the first step. You know, that it's, it's good to feel like a newcomer. It's good to remain teachable. I still feel like a newcomer in OA. Somehow in the midst of doing the things that I've been told, sometimes begrudgingly and sometimes not, you know, I'm maintaining like a 40-pound weight loss and I maintain like 15 pounds within my goal weight. I don't know how that happens. I try to figure it out. And I try to figure it out so I can do it on my own so I don't have to be here, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, I can't. You know, I what's been continually revealed to me is if I want to do something that feeds my recovery, I have to do what the people before me do. I have to do what the people whose recovery I admire do. And um, I love what was said, too, about finding good meetings and, and sticking with the winners is what, you know, what I've always heard. Stick with the winners. You know, I find sometimes, you know, I myself and sometimes I can go to meetings and I feel like, you know, they're... A lot of some of us plateau, and we stay in this this two-stepping place where we do one and twelve, one and twelve, and we stay and we plateau, and we just we never kind of get to the next hurdle. And it's like I didn't come to OA to have half measures. I came because I need to be what really is relieved of the bondage of self, and that's what it comes down to. If I'm obsessing about my food and my body weight. I'm not paying attention to God. I'm not paying attention to my fellows. I can't be of maximum service because I'm too busy thinking about how big my butt looks in my pants, you know? And that's really what it comes down to. And it sounds funny when you say it out loud, doesn't it? 
Like, I'm so like, but I will sit at my computer at work sometimes and be completely fucking obsessed on how big my ass looks in my pants when I get up to go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like, it's very few and far between, but it still happens to me. And it's like, how can I, you know, put in a good eight hours of work if I'm too busy thinking about myself? And so when I'm in that place and I get to that insanity, which was talked about, it's like I have to find the people who have what I want, who know what it's like to live in that freedom. And so I absolutely do pick out and stick with the winners. And I'm lucky that I've had the right people put in front of my path. And I talk to them about how do you get out of all this stuff? How do you quit obsessing? How do you quit wanting to get on the scale? How do you not want to, you know, eat every moment of every day because I have to get up and face all this stuff? You know, and they slowly talk to me about what it comes down to, which is a third step, turning my will and my life over, trusting that I'm going to be taken care of, doing the things that will relieve me of the bondage of self so that I don't have to run to the food. I don't have to do what our, you know, our first step in our book says again. I don't have to run and hide and eat. And it's a reality that, you know, I've known for too long. You know, and um, since I've come to OA, there's been a lot of miraculous things that have happened to me that I couldn't have done because I would have been too busy hiding out in my bedroom stuff in my face. You know, and a lot of it came with the mentality, too, of the pitiful and comprehensible demoralization that I have behind that stuff um, that, you know, makes it so I don't allow myself to experience the freedoms and joys. Again, the bondage of self. So if I want to feed my recovery... Um, it has nothing to do um, so much with the food as it does with what I'm doing in between it. You know, am I going to meetings? Am I sticking with the winners? Am I doing service? Am I taking somebody else through the steps? Am I reading the literature? Am I, you know, and it comes down to little things like, you know, I had questions about, well, what is God's will for me? And how am I going to know what to eat? You know, I got to a point in a way where I was like, you know, what? I don't really have the choice. I have to follow a food plan that was outlined for me. And, I, you know, I picked one in the Dignity of Choice food plan. I went to a nutritionist first, and then I picked something out in there. And then I, I, I weigh and measure my food. I call and commit my food, albeit not every single day, but pretty close, you know, because I need to. I either call it in in the morning or call it in the night before. Um, I write it down. I talk about it because I have to, because I lost the power of choice. So I have to know um, what's coming. For me, that's what works. It has to be that discipline for me because left to my own devices, I'm in big trouble. So in order to feed my recovery, um, I keep diligent. I get up in the morning and I pray to be willing to be willing to accept and receive God's gift of abstinence for me. You know, I pray to be shown what to eat and I pray to, you know, that I have the desire to do that on a daily basis. Um, you know, I, I try to do little things. Like when, when it was explained to me, if you want to know what God's will for you is, you know, you have to listen. It's like, I know what God's will for me is because it's the next indicated step. When I, right, right now I'm on step one. So my, my God's will for me is to get through the first 30 questions in the book. When my alarm goes off at 520 in the morning, like I have to get up and take a shower and go to work. When my sponsees call, when I'm in the middle of a good one, you know, when you get really, really busy up here and you're in the middle of a good one and you're real close to figuring out the answer and the phone rings and you notice it's one of the people that you're, sponsor, you're sponsoring, you're like, crap. You're like, gee, I just want to tell this person to hold on because I'm really busy and I'm really close to figuring it out. I pick up the phone anyway. You know, I call my sponsor and, 
you know, luckily I have one who listens, and I cry and moan and bitch like I did two days ago on the phone about where I'm at and how uncomfortable I am, you know. And um, I keep talking about it, and I keep walking through it. Um, you know, I was told a long time ago that you can't save your ass and your face at the same time. You know, I'm not trying to save face anymore. At least I'm, I'm getting there, you know. And um, I really want what this program offers me. And there's so much more than sometimes the physical recovery, but that's a big bonus. You know, that's a big perk. Um, so for me today, it's like it, it comes down to very simple answers. I don't get lost in what came first, the chicken or the egg. At least I try not to. And if I do, I get on the phone to my sponsor. You know, I don't trust my thinking behind this stuff. You know, I have to check in with other OA members. I go to meetings and the people that I relate to, I get their phone numbers. The people that have what I want, I talk to them to try to find out, you know, how to do what they do. And then I turn around and try to give it to somebody else. Um, and it's just sort of been, um, <laughs> it's been a learning process. Unfortunately, I'm one of the ones that's had the spiritual experience in the sometimes slowly category of the educational variety. You know, I have to do it one day at a time and, and um, I have to learn and I have to be diligent one day at a time. But what a what a beautiful gift to be able to get up and be bright-eyed and be abstinent and be here speaking to you guys in a convention where we're all striving for the same thing and we all have the common bond of recovery and compulsive overeating. Because without you guys, I don't get to walk this walk. You know, I don't get to be up here and doing this unless you're teaching me how. So thanks for being here. And thank all three of you and our timer. It's now time to close the meeting. Let's um, join hands if you care to. And we'll close. I'm sorry, what? You know, I have so blown it. The Asket Basket. Okay, because we probably don't have time to circulate it completely, let's do this. Why don't you um, raise your hand, ask a question, and the uh, speakers will have three minutes to answer. Does that work for you? Okay. You guys are on. Back in the back. compulsive overeater bulimic. The question was, what do I do to mantra for when I catch myself being busy? Um, the same thing I did when I was new. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. Help me, God. <laughs> and then I, um, I have a problem sometimes with insomnia. I don't know if you guys have a head, but like I have a head, but I wake up in the morning and it's like, you know, it'll wake me up early like, good morning, I have some things to tell you I've been thinking about while you're asleep, you know, kind of. And then I'll pop awake and then I'm just thinking all day. And um, one of the things that I've hel that's helped me with my insomnia is um, making a gratitude list. Like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'll write stuff down. 
and I'll switch that thinking from the negative to the positive and I'll start making a gratitude list. And I've actually been able to sleep through the night most nights when I do that. So that's one thing that works for me. For me, it's um, my mind takes off and it starts becoming real negative. And, uh, and I catch myself and I say, God, I need to turn all of this over to you. And then you tell me what to do next and i got to get into the solution and, and, and use the tools of my program, which means read a little bit that morning, um, turn my food over, write about it, call my sponsor. And um, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Uh, I will say something I picked up from a couple people that I sponsor, which is, oh, well. And uh, the other thing that um, I will say, you know, if my head is going and I'm, I can't figure out something or whatever, I'll just go, well, I don't know. There is no more freeing three words in the English language than I don't know. And that brings me peace. When the disease gets busy, when she was approaching her second birthday, and and you know you you go the disease goes into overdrive. Well, I'll tell you, when I got to my first birthday, I thought if this is the way it is to celebrate birthdays, I'm never having another one as long as I live. I swear to God. I was, I, hitting my birthday, I was so obsessed. The food obsession was incredible. The self-obsession was incredible. It, it just all became about me. And what happened was, um, from my, uh, was approaching my 10th birthday. And my mother died a week before my 10th birthday. And all of a sudden, my birthday, um, I was able to look at in uh, with more perspective. You know, there's something about losing your mother that uh, brings, you know, is the dose of reality. And uh, my self-obsession and my, actually the importance of my birthday has been less since then. You know, and then my sponsor, when I was getting to my first birthday, she says, you know, Ida, you know what you get to do the day after your birthday? And I said, no, what? And she said, you get to abstain. And I was so fucking pissed at the woman because she was taking away my fun. No, she wasn't taking away my fun. She was preparing me because, you know, it really is the day after that gets you. The day after. And she she was preparing me for the letdown of the day after. And, uh, but, you know, having, the other thing is time. Allowing myself time. I don't get people who just come in and say, I've been abstaining for three months and I still have problems. I go, jeez, you know. Uh, last night when uh, the speaker said, you know, wait for ten years and then you fly. And I go, ten years? That's, that's very optimistic, you know. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know I was thin enough until I had abstained for 16 years. 16 years. The thing that we don't allow ourselves in this program is time. And I've been uh, blessed with uh, 
with the willingness to wait. And for that, I'm very grateful. I can expand a little bit on that. Um, for me, your second birthday is just um, the summation of one day at a time, 365 days times two. You know, um, but it's still one day at a time. And if I start thinking that way, I'm going to set myself up for failure because I've already gotten on the spiral somehow. I never realize when I get on the spiral, but I know I'm on it. And instead of that, I just say, well, the next, what I have to worry about now, it's quarter, 20 to 12, what time am I going to have lunch? You know, if I'm going to have lunch at 1.30, I make sure it's an abstinent lunch. And what my sponsor told me was, take God to lunch with you. And uh, sit him down in front of you, and let's see how big of an abstinent meal you can eat. You know, because it's going to be real tight. Um, and then you work from there, whatever you got to do. And if you're getting trouble after your your meal, not tomorrow's meal, but, you know, your 1.30 lunch, call your sponsor, go to a meeting, share it with somebody, take the power out of it. And then what's your third meal of the day if you have, if that's your abstinence? And then you have it, and then you go to sleep, and then you wake up tomorrow morning. And then you struggle through it again. I got just today to live on, and the thing i got to worry about right now is what am I going to have abstinent for breakfast? What am I going to have abstinent for lunch? What am I going to have abstinent for dinner? And how can I be of service to somebody else to get myself out of myself today? And that seems to work for me. Thank you. Hi, Tina, compulsive reader, bulimic. The question was, how do you abstain when you're, you know, away from home? Right when I was a newcomer, I actually drove across country for five weeks right after September 11th, and I literally um, was probably like a week abstinent. And um, what I found, it's it's kind of a proverbial question, like wherever you go, there you are, right? Well, so is God. God's with me here. God's with me over there. God's with me when I was on the road with somebody that had absolutely no idea that I was, you know, struggling with bulimia and, and trying to eat abstinently. So um, I just sort of, I kept like a piece of paper in my pocket with me at all times. And I kept it, that reminded me that like, be still and know that I'm God. I kept that with me all the time. I kept one of my OA tokens with me all the time. I took, a, you know, I took some tapes, but I was in a car with somebody for five weeks who didn't really want to listen to anonymous <laughs> tapes. I made him listen to a couple, but not a lot. Um, and um, I took my big book and I took the literature and it's like we have very small big books and very small literature for a reason and um, you know I just remembered that you know I was going to have to face the same things at home as I was going to on the road and God was going to be with me either thing so I got up in the morning and did a third step and when I had the opportunity I would call people which was once every like three weeks and um, so I called, I think, two OA members the whole time I was on the trip. But I had my little book, my chip, and my piece of paper that reminded me that God was with me always. And I prayed before every meal, and I got through it absolutely. So, very simple. That, that's a great, great question. Um, I, I, used to, I used to have this job where I'd travel two weeks out of the month. 
And I got a couple of questions for you. Um, have you made a definition of abstinence? No, no. Okay. Do you have a big book? Do you have a big book? Do you have a for today book? Do you have a workbook? Cool. The I'm not sure I understand the thirty pound part of it, but oh, oh, I understand. I thought it was weight part. Um, talking about OA guy. Um, <laughs> I used to travel a lot, and um, the best thing I can tell you, there's nothing more important than your recovery. If you put your recovery off till after you get back, what's going to happen? is that you're going to get deeper in the hole if you're a compulsive overeater and you're just going to, you know, you're just going to hit bottom faster. If you accept recovery and you turn it over to God, what I've done is um, you probably have a lot of questions. Um, I write every question down. And then I, I had a big book that had an index on it. And I'd look it up and I'd wake up a couple hours before everybody else. And I'd sit down in my hotel room and say, well, what's abstinence? So I'd look up the big book. What's it say about abstinence? I write it down. And then, oh, shit, what's it say about big meals? And then you go back and you write it down about big meals. There's answers, a lot of answers, and you can have a meeting that way. And you can take a cell phone with you and you can say, well, part of my budget is going to be 300 bucks in phone calls. And you call somebody out. You say, I'm struggling with this. I know you're going to have huge meals. Because everywhere you go, you're tourists, and they're going to take you to huge banquets. And the first day I had to weigh and measure food, it was a disaster for me. Because first, they took away my control, which I didn't like. And I was somewhat rebellious, which I never knew I was. I thought I was a nice guy. But my sponsor called me rebellious, which was an eye-opener to me. Um, and then when I bought my cups and my scale, and I put half a cup of cottage cheese on the plate, and it was like this. And I put about four or six ounces of meat on the table. I mean, on a plate, and then you put a cup of salad on the plate, and you look at the plate, you say, this is all I'm going to eat. That's a meal. So if they're going to give you 12 ounces of meat and two and a half cups of rice and three cups of salad and five martinis and six <laughs> coats, between that and the weighing and measurement, there's an absolute meal. If the food gets on your plate and it gets down in front of you, chances are you're going to eat it. Okay, and so I would just pray a lot before you go down and say I'm going to have an abstinent meal and ask for power, turn it over to God and if it's, if it's too much for you, cut it right there, ask for another plate, serve it off your plate, have them take it away and that's what you eat. Because you're going to be on cruises, you're going to be traveling, you may go to Europe someday, your program still has to work today, tomorrow and the day after and you have to have an abstinent that allows you to live like that. So we're all here to help you. Take emails, call us up, you know, whatever. I, I used to call my sponsor from Mexico all the time or from Europe or wherever I was. And then I'd come back and I'd pay the bill and it was a cheap way, bill to pay.
feel like I'm giving my autograph. <laughs> Hey everybody, my name is Lynn. I'm a compulsive overeater. Really good to be here, and thank you to all of our speakers. It was really—I've been feeling like a newcomer myself. I came into this program about four years ago, April, and and you know I never knew there was another way to live, especially around food. You know, I like—I stopped being able to lose weight, and 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 I was so fear-driven. Everything, all the decisions I've made were so based on what's going to be taken away from me. What am I going to lose? And and I had to get smacked down by something else before I got abstinence. I was like, none too, please. But my husband was like, you know, because I was hiking with him one day, and I wasn't really able to do that anymore, and my knees hurt, and my back hurt, and I sat down on a rock, and I just said, it's so easy for everybody else. And I really meant it. I really felt that way, and I felt the way most of my life. Like, don't you guys really see how freaking hard it is for me? And I was about 10 pounds lighter than this without a program, and I was a maniac. Just absolutely, I didn't have anything anybody wanted. So to come into this program and get a chance at recovery and get a chance to, you know, just really live a life worth living, I'm just so grateful. Um, One of the things I've I've dealt with in recovery in particular is, like, look at taking, packing so much in the stream of life. And I I was very compelled by the name of this particular workshop. But I have to look at my motives today because I only have eight hours in a day. And I've had sponsors who have advised me, like, hello, do you have time to sleep anywhere in all this, you know? you know, just all the stuff and all the activities and how many people can I sponsor, you know, and, and what I learned in this program was to share with me because I need all you guys to teach me. I don't know. Left to my own devices, I just, I really don't know what a good idea is. And I, I so what's your motives, Lynn? What are your motives? What, what's, you know, why, why might you make this decision? And, and that helps me because, you know, if I'm doing it because I'm afraid of what someone's going to think of me, then I'm, you know, screwed. If I do it because I'm afraid of what I'm going to lose or what I'm not, you know, what I'm not going to get, then, you know, then my thinking's not right. And my, my disease, it's here in my head and it's definitely in my soul. Um, and I know if I don't maintain my emotional and spiritual abstinence, I will lose my physical abstinence. That is like absolutely I know. I, I crawled here and said, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. And I got told, you know, are you willing to uh, weigh and measure your food? I'm like, Okay. Are you going to call me every day? Uh, okay. And, um, and you know, I'm, what am I willing to do today? And that's for me in this, like, is it feeding my disease? You know, if I'm not willing to look at my stuff, to write it down, to call my sponsor, to talk to other people in the fellowship, to sponsor other women in this fellowship, all that stuff is what I need to do. And what I found is it's just what I wanted all along. It's, I, I always never, I thought everybody else got the memo of how to live, and I was the only one winging it all my life. And I got here and went, these are my people. They all say the stuff that's still, I like totally think all that stuff all the time. Um, but I'm just so grateful to be here. And, and I can use anything. Like if there was a Zappos Anonymous, you know, I would just, I could go anywhere, you know. But I absolutely believe that I had to get the biggest leaders first. And so when I'm obsessing about anything, I'm on my way to a binge. And so I have to like, oh, okay, you're, you're thinking, thank you. I'll, I'll shut up. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I've never done this before at a meeting like this. But anyway, hi, I'm Catherine. I'm a compulsive eater bulimic. And I've been coming to programs since 79, but um, on and off and trying other things. And finally got abstinence. Like over a year, I'd never get more than a year. 
and I've seen many times six months or whatever. But anyway, it's been over six years now. And the the things that I heard today about the it, this was intriguing um, topic for me because I was trying to figure out, oh, I wonder how they're going to approach the topic. And whenever someone gives me a topic, I freeze. I can't think of anything to say. But what came up for me with the it is that um, what works and doesn't work. And for me, it's, uh, it's neat that we have flexibility and we what works for someone doesn't necessarily work for someone else. And for me, one of the things that doesn't work is weighing myself. Um, because every time I'd get on the scale, that was such a part of my disease. And then I would try to figure out how to lose the weight on, of course, I was taking control how to lose it, and I would always gain. Or I'd try to do it in some unhealthy way. So that's been an interesting one for me to have to grapple with is, okay, I don't weigh myself when I go to the doctor. I don't want to know how much I weigh. It's just because it just makes a spiral as long as they know I'm in a healthy weight range. So I'll kind of put it out to them. Occasionally someone's blurted out my weight and then I'll know. And then I'll start to get obsessed about should I weigh at the gym, should I weigh once a month or whatever. But any, again, it's never worked for me, not yet anyway. Who knows what God has in mind. And as far as traveling, um, what I've had to learn is that um, I like to hike and do active things and be in situations that um, that I can't eat exactly how I eat at home. So I, part of my recovery is flexibility. And, again, I like the concept of the heroin foods because I know I can't have sugar in certain things. And um, I would have to put it out there to people just to say, and I've been in third world countries, not a lot of traveling, but some were in, in challenging places, and that these are my bottom lines. But I also had to be flexible. Um, last year I had the experience we did this huge long hike, and, and I was learning, and I hike a lot, but this was a big, it was down the Grand Canyon in one day. And I had to realize I was going to need a lot more nutrition and different, and not, I didn't have to eat sugar or eat the, you know, the um, whatever, you, the trail mix stuff with the nuts, I mean, with the M&Ms and all that in it, but I had to eat differently and I had to eat a lot more, uh, a lot of food and regularly because I could really, you could get, you know, you could die from, drinking water, not eating enough. And so I had to, I, I could use, I uh, weigh and measure. I don't go to restaurants and measure, I eyeball. But I have flexibility so I could add more food and be okay with it. And I guess the bottom line is, I'll just say, is this, is this, um, com, you know, is this my compulsive? Am I eating my binge foods or my binge behaviors? Like, I know what abstinence is not. I don't always know exactly what it is perfect thing and I have to get away from perfectionism so otherwise I'm going to have a and I have to be able to have flexibility to go in exotic places or you know God knows what you might be eating zebra or something I don't know what you're going to feed you there but to have flexibility and and to um, anyway that's what's helped my program and at least I know I'm not binging because if I get too perfect about it and too rigid I will flip out and go the other way and I don't need to do that today and I'm really grateful the obsession that obsession to compulsively it is not there so good luck and have a great time thank you fine yeah sure
Um, one quick share, is that okay? I'll move out of your way. Hi, I'm Beth, compulsive overeater. Hi, and I've been in OH 23 years, and I have 20 years of abstinence. And uh, I just moved here from L.A., so hello, L.A. Woo! <laughs> and uh, guess what? There's recovery in San Diego, and uh, that scared me for a little while. And um, so thank you, San Diegans, for welcoming me to the program. And um, do I have a little bit of... Oh, I just want to say on the idea of... Um, uh, I'm realizing as I'm transitioning, and I, I even drove to the beach trying to get here, <laughs> um, and that's what my life has been like a lot in moving and readjusting, and um, I find that I'm having to show up, and I can show up mentally, and it's where my emotions are still turned upside down, and so a lot of my recovery right now is just trying to recognize when that's happening and to allow myself to stop and to take whatever time I need, like my head has a schedule and a plan for me, and to just surrender to the fact that I'm not feeling um, connected, and to do whatever I need to do in that moment, regardless of what I think I should be doing, to take care of myself. And when I start feeling good again, then, you know, it just comes naturally. So um, that's it, and thank you all so much. Well, again, thank all of you, speakers, timers, questions, people who share, yeah. So those who care to, please stand and join hands. If you close with, I'll put my hand to yours. I'll read it. Find my line. You can ask me. Some of us aren't real familiar with the uh, Rosanna's Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. <All right. laughs>